Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know not that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that my departure, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the, the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing on in our series on guarding the deposit that's been entrusted to us. And most of you, as we read that text, will realize it does not come out of the pastoral epistles of which this series does. But it rather is a reference to when Paul planted the church at Ephesus. He spent three years there and you read about the, the, uh, the work that he did there and how intense it was. And so what you're getting there is a picture of the church at Ephesus when it was first planted. And when we go to Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy now to appoint leaders in that church that he began back there in Ephesus, at the church of Ephesus years later. So that gives you the context a bit. But where we've been so far in this series in guarding the gospel regarding the deposit, which is the gospel that leads to life or has been entrusted to us. First of all, we spent time talking about making sure that we get the message correct, that, that we make sure what is entrusted to us does not get changed, that we have the true message. And then we talked about getting the mission correct, what, what the church ought to be doing to get that message out to the world and how we ought to do that. And then we spent time the last couple of weeks um, 
saying that a third way that we guard that deposit, not only by guarding the message and guarding the mission, but we guard it by our own personal lives, letting God produce true godliness in our lives that expresses itself in good works. We ended last week on that note. And now we've come to part four of this series, and we're, we're close to putting the cap on it and ending it. But we come this morning to the issue of guarding the deposit by guarding the leadership of the church. All of those things are incredibly important. We need to do all of the things that we've talked about. But truthfully, unless you guard the leadership, the rest of that will not be guarded. Leadership is really the foundation of guarding all of the rest. In fact, they're called to do all of the rest and lead the church to do all of the rest. So what we're talking about today is not more important than the other. But if you take that leg of the chair out, the chair collapses. Leadership is incredibly important in the church. And in fact, as I've gone through this series, I realize how much more important it is than I even imagined as I began. It is so crucial. It is so crucial to the church. And it's for that reason that in both 1 Timothy and Titus, those young pastors, and they were young pastors, Paul was coming to the end of his ministry, he had mentored those men, and he was now sending them to churches. He was sending Timothy to Ephesus to appoint leaders there and establish leaders there. And he was sending Titus to to Crete, the island of Crete. And so in one sense, he was sending Timothy to an established church to make sure that the leadership was strong. And he was sending Titus to kind of a pioneer work of a number of churches to appoint elders is what the biblical word for leaders is. And in both of those cases, it was for that reason that he sent them. He sent them to appoint qualified men referred to as elders and overseers in their text in various uh, books to lead the church. Now look at it with me just quickly. Turn, turn to 1 Timothy and Titus. Just, just let me note it here so that you, you know I'm not making this up. In chapter 3 of Timothy, 1 Timothy, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. In a minute, I'm going to tell you that the word overseer and elder mean the same thing. Because if you turn over to Titus, there we also read about the qualifications. But here it doesn't say overseer, it says elder. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, talking to Titus, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders, overseers are synonymous words. In the text. They mean the same thing. And Paul wanted to make sure that in those churches that that leaders were established for the church. He knew how important that leg of the chair was. And in Acts chapter 20, we just get a picture of how Paul felt about the Ephesian church. And in Acts chapter 20, the reason I've chosen that text for this morning is because in that text we get a picture of what the role of those elders was to be. In fact, what we're going to do the next couple of weeks, this is, this is the way it's going to work over the next few weeks, actually. This morning, what I'm going to talk about is the role and the function 
of eldership, of leadership in the church, what the role and the function is, actually what they do, what they're called to do, and how they protect uh, the message and the, and the mission and, and the personal godliness of the church and all of those, how they protect in it, the, the gospel that's been entrusted. And then I'll be gone next week, um, and then back in the pulpit the following week, and the following week we're going to talk about the qualifications of elders or overseers, what those qualifications should be, and we'll be back in the book of Timothy and Titus particularly to do that. And so you can read about those ahead of time before we get there. So that's where we're headed. That's, that will be the end then of, of this series as we come to it there, Lord willing, uh, in a couple of weeks. And then following that, on that Sunday night, on March 24th, we have a congregational meeting. And at that congregational meeting, we invite all of you to come. But the leadership that is, is established here at Richland now was commissioned to bring back a recommendation to the church body before our annual meeting, which will be in a month or so. And that recommendation was ways in which we could restructure our leadership model at Richland to reflect more of this eldership model. And so on, on March 24th, on that particular Sunday evening at 7 o'clock, we're going to gather together and, and the leadership is going to present that recommendation to you. Now, the question is, why? Why are we going to have that recommendation come? Why, why the need to, to have a restructuring of that leadership model at this time? There are a couple of reasons for that, a couple of things that, that have kind of precipitated that. Is, is first of all, our denomination is allowing it. They are allowing uh, it, and our district leadership, in fact, is encouraging us to look at leadership models. And they've given us the flexibility to, to tweak those a bit, to, to, to fit each individual congregation. And so because of that, we are going to do that. The reason the district is encouraging that is to, to do it in a way that helps us to fulfill the mission of the church. And, and so we're going to, to do it for that reason. The second reason is this, that, that we, we feel as a leadership that, that it, it isn't a matter of, of changing much structurally. And in fact, what this recommendation that we will bring to you doesn't change much structurally. In fact, it really doesn't change anything about how we do it now, really. The way we've done it for the last several years, it, it doesn't change much of any of that, and anything it does change is very minimal in the way that that leadership has, has been affirmed here at Richmond these past years. So it's not much about the structural part. There'll be a little there, but not a lot. But it's, it's more being done and being talked about and being studied by our leadership in the sense of, of, of changing, um, changing how really our leadership has come to see their role um, and, and, ref, and getting language that better reflects how they are coming to see their role as leaders. Over the last years, recent years here, we've, we've just been moving more and more to, to a, a different way to f- fulfill that role. And that, 
and, and how that role operates and how it works and how leaders should operate. And we've been looking at Scripture, been talking about Scripture, been talking about what the Bible talks about when it talks about overseers or elders. And so much of what we're going to do on that particular night is, is just talk about the role and how, and how this body of leaders has, is seeing that they should operate. And that's what I want to talk about this morning those shifts in, in the way that they see their responsibility, which I think is incredibly encouraging to me. I believe it's the way the Bible tells us that leaders should see their role. And so really we're just doing some things that kind of gets, gets things squared to the way that it's really been happening over the last number of months. But we'll tell you more about that. And, and one of the things that it's doing, be, because... We want to reflect the role that they're seeing that they need to play. Is we're we're, we're cha- doing a name change a little bit. We've we've and I've wrestled through the years of what you call that that leadership. We've called it the church board, and most recent times you've seen it as the leadership meeting. I really think the best term for that, the most biblical term for that, is a plurality of elders leadership model. And by that means, there's a number of elders and they lead as elders. Um, Plurality in the sense that they have equal vote in that leadership process. A plurality, a number of elders who lead. And so we're changing the name. That's part of what that recommendation will be. And, And I hope it will just better define what they do so that when new ones are raised up, they just, they just know what that role is better. It's better defined of what it, what it should be and how it should function. And so that's, that's really the reasons why, why this restructuring resolution is going to come to you in a few weeks. You see, the church world today, um, not, not all of the church world. In fact, there's a real move in the church world to this plurality of elders model. Not, not in droves, not in huge droves, but, but there's a quiet movement. In fact, I just heard at our, at our last leadership meeting of, of, a, of a fellow peer in ministry who pastors a church not far from here who's, whose church is doing the very same thing, um, moving to a plurality of elders model. And so there's, there's pockets of this rising up all over. But, but in many cases in the, in the past... Um, and still today, there's, there's been tended, the church world has tended to shift to more of a kind of chief executive officer kind of model of leadership. In other words, you bring in a strong personality who most typically is a, is a senior pastor or a lead pastor, and, and you build the church around that person as, as kind of the, the, you know, the one right out in front driving everything. And that model, I think, is not a very biblical model. In fact, it's a dangerous model. Um, it gets churches in lots of trouble. It's why I think we see the rise and fall of churches uh, dependent so much on the rise and fall of an individual. And, and this plurality of elders is a move to, to not have that vulnerability built into a leadership model. I've witnessed it myself. I've witnessed it in, in some people close to me. My, my son, Tim, uh, attends a church in Indianapolis, a large church, a church of 3,000 plus now. It's been there for quite some time, but, 
But the founding pastor of that church uh, a few years ago um, had some difficulty, personal difficulty. And the church had grown to a, a pretty good size and, and by all appearances from the outside was, was healthy and had, was doing a lot of right things. But the pastor, who was the founding pastor of that church, got in some trouble with some prescription drugs and they just got out of hand. And finally, he had to be removed from leadership because of that addiction and rightly removed. But one of the things that was marvelous about him being removed, they had, they had a plurality of elders model of leadership. And though he was a strong individual and certainly there was much love toward him because he was the founding pastor of the church and people knew him, when he left, the church just continued on. The church didn't fall because of that. It continued to have ministry. And for a number of months, and, and I think more than a year, they were without anyone kind of in that lead pastor position. And yet the church was thriving, and the church was growing, and people were having their needs met. And there was wonderful things happening in that fellowship, even though that situation had occurred. So I, I witnessed that. I've asked questions about that of my son and, and, and talked about the model that they had. And I've, I've been in that church and saw how the elders function in that church. And it's a wonderful thing. And many of the men, elders are still there who walk through that process. And the church continues. In fact, the new pastor, senior pastor, has come in. And I think you will hear more about him. I think he will, in many ways, um, be, be a, a person that, that people beyond his church will know about. You will, you will hear him speak at conferences like the Gospel Coalition, some of those places. I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. But, but it is not built around him. It is built around a plurality of elders' leadership model that will continue. And a strong person doesn't affect it one way or another um, in, in a bouncing kind of way. My... My other experience with this is my son-in-law's church. That's a church that is much smaller than the one my son attends in Frankfort, Indiana. But just recently, their, their pastor had a moral failure. And uh, my son-in-law had just become an elder in that church. He'd just begun to serve just about the time that happened. And that pastor had to be removed from the church. But what I've watched is how that church just continues on continues to have ministry. In fact, my son-in-law at times has filled the pulpit and spoken in lieu of not having a lead pastor there now. And I've watched him do other things. I've watched him meet together and agonize with elders, much, uh, much in relationship that Paul had with the elders here in Acts chapter 20 as they agonized through this and, and cared for the church through this process. Another is a friend who's out in western South Dakota who pastors... A couple of churches, but one of the churches he pastors is a church that he didn't initially go to pastor, but they lost their pastor, and so they ask him to fill the pulpit. And so what he does is he just speaks. That's all he does in this church, because they're without a pastor. But again, they have a plurality of elders' leadership model, and he says, I, I speak on Sunday mornings, but the church functions otherwise without me. I don't pastor the church. And it continues to be healthy. You see, that's what a plurality of elders, uh, of elders' leadership model does. When when elders begin to see their role and function in their role, 
I think it creates great health for a church and great stability for a church. And so, so it's those kinds of things that, that have pushed me to want to, 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 uh, to help us as a congregation see the value of that. And our leadership at the same time is seeing the value of that. And so, so on that particular night, we'll talk more about that. But, um, but what I want to do this morning now, in the time that I have left, is I want to talk about how does a plurality of eldership leadership model function? Because that's, that's what I mean by the role. What's the role of that? What do those leaders do? And what are the priorities of what they do? as they lead the church. There's several things. I'd like you to go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 first here. Let, let, me, let me just pull a portion of this text out to you. And here is Paul, and he's speaking to the elders now. The, all This whole thing we read in Acts chapter 20 was Paul with those Ephesian elders uh, when, he, when he left them after being there three years and planting the church at Ephesus. But these are the kinds of things you tell people when you know you're not going to see them again. And this is what he said to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, or you could insert the word elders, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. Here you see the word flock. And when you think of flock, you think of sheep. And when you think of sheep, you think of shepherd. And, and that's exactly right. In one of the roles, one of the primary functions of a plurality of elders leadership model is that they begin to see and they know that one of their primary responsibilities is to shepherd the flock, shepherd the church. And that's a picture, I think, of what, if you want a picture of what a plurality of elders model is, it's, it's that. That they have a burden to, sh- to shepherd. They pay careful attention to that as they lead, as they function as elders. Now, let me, let me do something that I think will be helpful to you. Um, here we have the word overseer. You see it here. Pay forth attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. If you go to 1 Timothy, it, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, he desires a noble thing. And then you go to Titus and he uses the word elder. Well, what I want you to tell you here is that that word elder or pastor or bishop or overseer, anytime you see those words, it's it's. It's really one of three different words. Three different words that are used in the New Testament um, regarding eldership, this kind of eldership. Um, and each of those have a little bit different nuance in, in why different ones are used, but they have the same meaning. And the picture you want to get is a picture of a shepherd. The first one is, is the word episkopos. And episkopos is, is a Greek, comes from Greek culture. It comes out of that. It means to rule or to supervise or to lead. It is what you would find if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, which I said to you, this is saying, is trustworthy anybody desires to the office of overseer. It would be the word episkopos in the original language that would show up there. Now, if you go to another word that's used, you would find in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, if you want to turn there, you, you see this 
or, excuse me, verse 14, it says this. Do not neglect the gift you have, and, he, and Paul speaking to Timothy, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The council of elders is uh, uh, presbyteros uh, is, is what the word is in the original language. It's, a, it's more of a kind of uh, a Jewish kind of flavor of a word. But presbyteros is the word that's used there, which is translated elder. And then if you go to a text like Ephesians chapter 4, and it might be valuable if you have your Bibles, you can quickly turn there, to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. In that particular book, you will find this in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles... Uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Shepherds there, the word. Your Bible, if you have the NIV, probably says pastors and teachers. But here in the ESV, it says shepherds, which is really what pastor means, shepherd. And in that particular text, uh, pomeo is the word. is where the word pastor comes from or shepherd. So whenever you see those terms, um, shepherd, Pastor, bishop, overseer, elder. Those terms designate this kind of leadership. Uh, the word presbyteros is kind of that where that plurality of elders comes from. When, when, when Timothy is exhorted to use the gift that came to him on the laying out of hands, it was the laying on the hands of the plurality of elders, a plurality of leaders laid hands on him. So those terms, when, when you're reading them, they are, they are interchangeable in meaning. And it's important to understand that. And as you look at Ephesians, or at Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. You see, the inference there is shepherd. A flock, sheep, shepherd. He's, he's speaking to them as shepherds. And he's saying, you are shepherds. Pay careful attention to the flock. Care for them. Agonize over them. That's the inference of the text here. There's, there's another portion of Scripture, and I know I'm taking you lots of places, but it's, it's good for you to see this. If you can find First, First Peter, turn to First Peter this morning. And in this particular text, what is, what is valuable for you to see here in First Peter chapter 5 is all three of these words get used. In this particular text that I'm going to read to you, beginning at verse 1, all three of these terms are used there. And I'll stop and kind of tell you where they come. So let's read it. It says, So I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, pomeo, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Episcopos, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You see, there are all three there. And, and Paul is exhorting these elders or leaders who at one point he calls them shepherds and he calls them overseers. But they're all the same. They're interchangeable. That's, that's what they are to do. That's the role. Of leaders, the primary role of leaders. Certainly, they'll they may do some other things, but primarily they are a shepherd. And so then you ask yourself, what do shepherds do? 
mean, what do shepherds do? What, what does that look like as it's fleshed out? And I want to spend some time right now as I close just telling you what it looks like quickly. First of all, a shepherd feeds the flock. A shepherd feeds the flock. And, and it's incredibly important to, to know that. Now, now here's, here's where there's a, a little bit of a shift. This is, this is part of why we're coming to you on that particular Sunday night with that resolution. Because, because we're asking you to make a little shift, probably. Maybe you've already made that shift. Maybe you don't see that as a need to make. But, but possibly you do. Because, because built in to to our culture, even our church culture sometimes, is the idea that, that I am the pastor, and Pastor Jason is the pastor, and Pastor Dan, we're the pastors. And sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch for us to push that then on to the leaders. But the Bible doesn't differentiate between those two things. We differentiate because in the church today we have... We have staff pastors. We are, in our case, all three are paid staff pastors. But what, what that term, plurality of elders, means, it, it doesn't make that differentiation. What it, what, it, what it says, and I think what the Bible says, is they're either lay pastors or they're staff pastors. But both are, are elders. Both have the role of eldership. Because one is, a, is maybe a paid position and one is not, or one is a staff position and one is not. The Bible doesn't make a distinction there. That distinction is more cultural for us than it is biblical. And so that's a bit of a shift. You see what I mean? We're not tweaking what we're doing. We're tweaking a mindset more and, and labeling it so that we better get this new mindset that, that we... I think need to have because it's more of a biblical mindset of of elders lay and staff and both when I go to talk about what a shepherd does need to feel the weight of these things and and part of the weight is feeding the flock now certainly when when you you pay some they may have more time to do what I'm doing here, to, to preach. You, you, you pay me so I don't have to do other things so I can spend more time, maybe. So in that sense, I'm the lead pastor for preaching here at Richland. But that doesn't mean that the lay people still don't have the responsibility for feeding the flock. In fact, one of the requirements, one of the qualifications of an elder, most of the qualifications of an elder are are lifestyle qualifications, who you are inside, but with the exception of the one that says able to teach. An elder needs to be able to teach, not necessarily in the role that a staff pastor might or with the frequency that a staff pastor might. What I think it means is there, they just have to be able to know the truth. And they have to be able to make sure that the flock gets the truth and know when what's being given to the flock isn't good for the flock. They catch it. They catch air. Certainly they they need to be able to communicate that. But it isn't the communication as much as they just sense. They just sense this isn't right or this is right. 
They know doctrine. They know what the flock needs. And they want the flock to get healthy food, not unhealthy food. And they guard that. They guard it. They make sure that the flock gets what they need as far as sustenance of the Word, of the truth. So they feed the flock. And the second thing is that they lead the flock. I mean, a shepherd leads. We've all had illustrations. A shepherd leads the sheep. You, You lead them. You lead them to fulfill their purpose. And this is where this whole idea of leadership has become more keen for me. This, this particular point, um, and, and part of it is the years of ministry they have. I realize it, it gets more and more complicated sometimes to, to lead a church. It, it is much more complicated today than it was when I came 33 years ago. In fact, if, if I'd have stepped into this church like I was 33 years ago, I'm not convinced that I could have fulfilled the role that I have here. Leading a church is much more difficult today. And I'm realizing that, that we have to, to really think about mission and how to fulfill mission. These are the kinds of texts that, that come to us. I want you to look at Acts, Acts chapter 18. Um, let, let's turn to a couple, or to, to the book of Acts. Back in Acts chapter 20, I want you to see this particular text. Um, verses 18 to 21. Read it with me or look at it with me this morning. It says, um, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul was passionate about the gospel and about getting the gospel to a world that needed to hear the gospel. He, he, he didn't shrink back. He, he suffered all kinds of hardship to plant that church in Ephesus. And he talks about it there. Um, he also, in 1 Timothy, when he writes to Timothy, he says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I mean, Paul was about taking the gospel to the unbeliever. Another place, and we, we, we even talked about it pretty extensively, he said in 2 Timothy, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And we made the point that that elect is not the elect that's already in. The people God is saving are known as the elect, but he's talking about the elect yet to come in there. And he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then Matthew says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The Bible is clear that the, one of the missions of the church is to take the gospel Take the gospel to people like I was as a, as a kid who, who, who was home alone on Easter Sunday morning and it was hollow. And to find them and to tell them about Christ. Now, that's a big picture, but how does that work? How do you best flesh that out in a body of believers? How do, how do we best lead this body? 
passionately share that message. How do you do it? You see, leadership is incredibly important because the Bible doesn't give us specifics. It just says, do it. It doesn't give you a lot of specifics. And so you, you have to have leaders who can discern that and begin to wrestle with that, with, with the revelation that they have in Scripture. It's interesting, I told you already that First Timothy, Paul was sending Timothy into an established church, the church at Ephesus, to do this. He was sending Titus to a pioneer kind of work, a new work, really, to establish leaders. And vastly different places, vastly different people. Um, same doctrine, same mission, but different context, and I think probably different method sometimes. Doctrine and mission are consistent. Context and method. Leadership needs to discern some of those things. Needs to know what works in their particular context as far as fulfilling the mission. Leadership, I think it falls on them. How to lead a church is incredibly important. The third thing they do is they protect the church. Leaders protect. A shepherd protects. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but you know that what happened at Ephesus is Paul had appointed elders, but he says right after the admonition, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. He says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. That happens. That has happened in my 33 years here. I've been here long enough that I'll, I, I, I mean, some of you have been here the whole time. I don't even think you'll have reference. But, but there's just been times in ministry. Where, where you thought people were with you. You thought they were part of it. And, and they were buying in to, to, to where the church was headed and what was going on. And all of a sudden, they're not there anymore. And not only are they not there, but they may give you opposition. What Paul said there is what happens. You, you have to have godly leaders through those kinds of times. And, and when those circumstances arise who shepherd, who protect, who see those things, who smell those kinds of dangers and lead through them. Paul did it at the risk of his own life. Um, He said, I do not account my life of any value that I might testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the kind of people that you want in that role. People who are true shepherds Not hirelings, not people who run off when it gets tough, but people who are committed for the duration, people who are willing with humility and tears to fill that role. It's not always a popular role. So, the plurality of elders, shepherd, picture shepherd, who feeds, who leads, who protects. And does it all, as I close this morning, on a foundation. A foundation that we find in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. Look at the text. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. What's he, what's he talking about? Well, I think he's talking about what it says in Acts chapter 6. Just a few pages before that. In verse 4. A controversy had developed in the church. What had happened is that, that the church was being added to and, and lots of people were coming to embrace Christ. But it became aware at the church here that the needs of some weren't being met as well as they should be met. And so what happened is that the elders, the leaders, decided to appoint some people full of the Holy Spirit to minister to those needs. And the reason for that is so they could do what they needed to do. And that's what I want you to see in verse 4 of chapter 6. It says in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, the duty of meeting those needs that weren't being met. But, but, we, the elders, the overseers, the presbyteros and the episcopos, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry prayer and the ministry of the word. You see, there's a shift that's been going on for quite some time in our leadership model. And, and that is that kind of a weightiness. We're leaders, leaders who are truly, I think, fulfilling the role that they need to fill are fulfilling a role that has to do with shepherding. It's not, it's not, which vacuum sweeper to buy or such. There's, there's others that can do that and they're appointed to do those kinds of things. But the core leadership of the church, the core leadership of the church are shepherds. Whether they're lay or staff, they're shepherds. Shepherds who shepherd the sheep and do it all on the foundation of the Ministry of Prayer and the Word. That's what we're going to talk about on uh, Sunday night, the 24th. That role and, and changing the terminology to better reflect that role that's already occurring in our leaders. I think it's the right direction. And I'm grateful for the way that God has, has kept godly leadership here at the church uh, if, if I were to look back on the 33 years of my ministry here and I would say, why have the doors remained open? Why have, have we continued to, to, to grow? Why have we continued to be, have fruitful ministry? The number one reason that I say back to people is leadership. The leadership has remained strong. And part of the strength of our leadership is a willingness to to, to move to, to biblical models, more biblical models and roles of leadership. Let's stand together. All of that is about the gospel. All of what I said is so that we can do this. 
can guard the deposit. God help us. Let's sing it together. Holy God in love became perfect man to for your grace to me as, uh, as lead pastor at this church to have around me godly leaders. Leaders who've been willing to, to uh, wrestle with how we can lead this church in more effective ways, more, more, more consistent biblical ways, Father. And I'm grateful, Lord, that that you are working and continue to work. And pray, Father, that, that you will help us together as a congregation to, to continue to have fruitful ministry, continue to, to guard the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.